Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic and I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, are you in a car? I, uh, I'm in a vehicle, yes. Um, it is a <laughs> Uh, sport utility vehicle, but I am not driving, so do not be alarmed. Okay. I, I, yes. I'm, I'm grateful to hear no, that. Uh, I just, for those listening, our guest this week will be Jed Hoyer, the president of baseball operations with those surging Chicago Cubs. But before we get to Jed, we need to talk about Doug because Doug, as you can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, is on an official road trip. He and the Glanvilles driving home. From Williamsport, yes. PA, as we speak. Um, so let, let's start with a travel update. Do you know where the heck you are right now? Um, we uh, we left Pennsylvania. I think we yeah. might. We are in New York State. Um, okay. We are on our way to Connecticut. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're in good shape. Uh, we left Williamsport this morning. And, uh, you know, it's not too far. It's like, you know, five hours this, you know. So we're, yeah. it was a very nice three-day weekend. Um, yeah, so it's been wonderful reconnecting with roots of high school yeah. and teachers. Yeah, it was, a, uh, it was a, uh, a nice run. So we know that all roads definitely do not lead to Williamsport. But fortunately, no. some roads actually do. Uh, so the Phillies and Nationals got there Sunday. And also you did to call that game on ESPN Radio with Roxy Bernstein. And Doug, what was the coolest thing that you think you did in Williamsport? Did you get a chance to slide down that hill? I did not do the hill, um, you know, laundry, you know, laundry is a little challenging on the road and it's a, it's, it's a mud fest at times. So uh -huh. I know there's a dry side and that's what the nationals did, but no, I didn't do the hill. I'm also what turning 53 this week. Um, so, you know, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't need anything dislocated or anything like that. <laughs> so I, yeah, I did Bernie Brewers already. I did the slide in Milwaukee that there's nothing you can top that. Yeah. So I'm good. Um, yeah, so no, it was it was wonderful, and my wife is from Pennsylvania and Delaware area, so we um, got to reconnect with some old friends, old teachers, and that was really nice. Uh, I don't know if you know the uh, 
big time Williamsport reporter, Chris Massey. He's a, a high school friend of my wife's and wow. we, um, yeah, so he's, he was covering, he's, he writes like five stories a day too in little league. So he's really busy. <laughs> so that was, yeah, it was really cool. So, um, but we had a you know really good time, but I, you know, I connected, this was kind of a little random, but Dave Martinez, the manager of the nationals and Darnell Coles, one of the hitting coaches, they were the guys I worked out with in Tampa when I was trying to get up to the big leagues or just, just got there. So they're both, as you know, staff of the nationals. So I took a picture with them. And I hadn't seen both of them together since, I'm not even sure. We have to go into mid-90s. It had to be almost 30 years, 25. Yeah, it was crazy. So, um, But no, it was just wonderful to see the little leaguers. I I loved watching major league players go back to childhood and little leaguers be in childhood. You know, at the same time, they they just fed off each other. And the enthusiasm and just the way that they were, major league players were so accessible. You know, they're right there on the field they're sitting in the stands uh it was it was just a great connection and i you know i had a lot of memories in positive ways of some of the minor leagues where you just had access to fans and and just to call the game you know just it felt real personal you know and williamsport changes overnight into this you know little league city and and um you know i just love the stories we went to the canada czech republic game now czech republic obviously didn't have a team many years ago and it was just, you know, amazing to watch, you know, the fans. And I think there was a bunch of kids named Dominic, a couple, a bunch of guys named Philip. Uh, and they were, there was a, some names. Uh, the Canadian team had a, pretty much the same hairstyle. It was impressive. So uh, they went to all the same barber. So, I, you know, it was just cool to watch all the cultures and come together and have this universal language of baseball. And everybody kind of reduced to, uh, little kids again in, in such in the best way I can describe that just you know everybody coming together around this sport you put a lot of egos you check it at the door and um, you know I ran into Randy Wolf's brother Jim Wolf the umpire you know so that was uh, anyway it was it was a wonderful time and you know I just I had a lot of good memories of Little League uh, as you know I, I have a picture I'll send you I think of my Little League picture with one of my teammates was Lawrence Frank and for all you basketball fans out there he was uh, he's the head of basketball operations for the L.A. Clippers. And he didn't strike out that entire season that I played with him. That's his <laughs> claim to fame. Um, but we stand next to each other in that photo. But, um, yeah, so I we, we had a you know, really good time. And I, I, I really love these events that Major League Baseball is doing. I think it's really cool that, they, that they're doing the Negro League uh, event. I think it's in July next year. And, yep. you know, we know the Field of Dreams and all these programs. So, yes, uh, thumbs up. Wonderful time. And, um, yeah, took away some good memories, man. Well, good. I, you know, I'm really happy that you got there. Williamsport is on my bucket list. I've somehow never been, you know, I live in the same state, but one yeah. of these years, man, one of Amazing. these years. And I also want to hit with a bat that looks like a number two pencil. I think that'd be cool. Oh my gosh. Or a crayon. I mean, the, those bats are crazy. <laughs> fanatic. <laughs> For sure. All right. So you should know that because of Doug's crazy travel day, he is not going to be able to join us for the conversation with Jed Hoyer, but Doug will be back later in the show because he is not going to miss trivia. He lives for the trivia segments. All right, it is time to welcome in this week's special visitor to Starkville. It's the president of baseball ops for the Cubs, Jed Hoyer. Jed, welcome back to Starkville. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Very happy to have you here because I'm sure you're aware of this. If the postseason started today, which I'm pretty sure it will not, 
the Cubs would be playing in it, right, as the third wild card. And it, that's amazing because a little over two months ago, your team was 10 games under 500. So I, I wanted to start by just asking you, what's the roller coaster ride of this season been like? Yeah, it's been uh, one of the most unusual seasons I've been a part of. Um, I feel like I've done this for a while and you think you sort of, you know, the patterns of the, of the seasons of, of the games, but this has been an unusual one in the sense that we got off to a great start. Uh, we had a really hard schedule early in the season and, uh, you know, played the Dodgers well and the Padres well and the Rangers and the Mariners and really had a good first 25 games or so. And then just played bad baseball from kind of late April up until, I guess, like the first week of June at which point we were uh, at that point, we were 10 under, we got swept by the angels to fall 10 under. And yeah, I'd be lying to say that there's a lot of optimism at that point. I think there was a lot of frustration because we felt like this was a, a good team. And the one thing I've said to a lot of people, you know, d- during this whole time is this was the team with the worst record I can ever remember where the players kept feeling like we were good. You talk to players like, oh, we have a good team. We have a good team. And, a run differential that whole time was always pretty solid, which isn't a perfect way to look at it, but like all the underlying numbers we have um, were pretty positive. And then it was interesting. We were playing against a, a team I won't mention. We're playing against a team that I think is really, uh, really bright. And I was talking to their uh, their president uh, prior to the series, and we were really struggling. I think we were like seven or eight, or eight under at that point. And uh, he's like, yeah, we have you guys like the third best team in the National League right now. <laughs> and I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, you know, because you feel like, uh, you know, we were at that point, we were kind of going nowhere. But yeah, it's been a roller, roller coaster. I'm just so glad for everyone, for the city, for the fans, for the team, for me, you know, for us. Just so glad that we were able to to figure things out before the deadline, because I do think it is a talented group. I think we you know, were pretty balanced, you know, offense you know, pitching defense and I felt like a team that should be in the race. And I'm glad we figured it out at the last possible second. <laughs> right. I, I'm definitely going to ask you about the deadline, but just to recap for people, first 17 games, 11 and six next 45 games, 45 games, 15 and 30. Yeah. So you're 10 games under at that point, 26 and 36 since then 38 and 23 only teams in the National League that have a better record than that over the last 61 games are the Braves and Dodgers. So, you know, baseball is amazing. It's just so mysterious. Can you even explain how those last two streaks can happen back to back to the same team? 15 games under over 45 games, but then 15 over for 61 games. Yeah. It's hard to explain. Um, During that stretch, um, well, first of all, our schedule was very hard during that stretch, which is no excuse, but it's kind of a reality. We had two three-city road trips um, kind of in the same, in like a five-week period, which are hard. I felt like we were tired. Our bullpen was struggling. Um, I thought our coaching staff did a great job of kind of through that stretch, kind of getting our bullpen lined up in the right way. And then at some point we, we started to gel um, and in the bullpen. We got uh, Advert put Adbert in the closer role. Uh, Merriweather and Fulmer really stepped up. Mark Leiter really stepped up and kind of gave our bullpen the structure that we were lacking. And you know, during that period, we were losing a ton of, of one-run games. I don't remember exactly what our run differ- 
differential was when we were um, 10 under, but I think it was in the twenties, uh, you know, plus 20 or so. And then, <laughs> amazing. Um, I mean, we, it was, it was bizarre, but we were really poor in one run games and just, yeah, we we're just playing, we weren't playing good baseball. And then, um, you know, it sort of started to turn around and once it did it, it the ball really got rolling. Um, but then we went to, so we, we won a ton of games before London. We went to London and, including the second game in London, we were one and six. So we kind of fell back after dragging ourselves to one under, we kind of fell back to six under after that period. And then at that point we started playing well. And really, you know, since then we haven't had a, a let up since then. Yeah. Now, as you know, not a lot of teams are 10 games under in June and wind up playing baseball in October. Uh, I, I decided to go take a look at the wild card era um, before the show. So that's an era when there, there's more playoff spots available now than there used to be. Even in the wild card era, only one team had ever been 10 under as late in the year as your team and made the playoffs. And that was last year's Mariners. So if your team does this, it would be historic. I mean, you've been part of some incredible history. Does something like this feel, does, does historic feel like the right word for it? I don't know about historic, but I will say it would be incredibly meaningful in a lot of different ways. I think it would, if we can do that, I think it would, and even already what we've done, I think to, to drag ourselves back to not only not selling at the deadline, but obviously drag ourselves back to, to being, you know, playing super meaningful games and being in the division and wild card hunt on August 21st. I think it just says a lot about the character, the character of the guys in that, in that room. Cause I think when you play every single day, as you know, there is some real ups and downs that go with that. And when you start falling, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 under 500, and everyone's talking about the trade deadline, it becomes a huge distraction. And I thought the fact that our guys didn't let it be a distraction, they actually used it as a little bit of a rallying cry, to be honest. Like we're, we believe in this team. We're, we're going to play well. We're not going to let this team get broken up. Uh, that was really impressive because there does – there's a lot of noise that happens around a baseball team when you start to struggle and you have some really good pending free agents and their ability to shut that out uh, in a major market, I thought was just super impressive on the character of the coaching staff and the character of the, of the players. Yeah. You know, let's talk about the deadline a little bit, because it's, it's certainly going to be a big part of this team's story. Um, so two weeks before the deadline, so that would have been July 17th you're still seven games under 500 you're eight and a half out in the division eight and a half out in the wild card i guess my first question is how close did you come to selling at that point well, i would have sold if the deadline had been on that day about that you know i was uh i've told people this story a little bit but um my oldest son he's 11 i i on the monday i think the, the day you're talking about the 17th i think that's right I flew him to camp in Maine and dropped him off. So that's the Monday night. We watched the game at, at some restaurant in, you know, Kenny Bunkport, Maine or whatever. And we're watching the game on my phone at dinner and we were losing. We lost that game to fall to seven under. And then I dropped him off at camp and I flew back the next day and I was going to get back in time for the game. So I was going straight from the airport to our game that night and we had a super long delay and I'm sitting on the tarmac and we are, uh, we're losing three, nothing. And I'm like anger texting the guys in my office. 
I can't believe we're about to be eight <laughs> under. This is, this is, a, you know, we're, we're playing terribly. And I got to the ballpark that night. We were losing three to one and we scored 17 unanswered that night. We ended up winning 17 to three. Oh, that was the nationals game. That's and right. that was the stunt. And then the yeah. next one, the next night uh, lost, I think on Thursday to the Cardinals one, the next three against the Cardinals, two against the White Sox, and then the first three against the Cardinals. So that was really the start of, I think, eight eight of nine we won after that point. It might have been nine out of ten. But the point is, when I was sitting there with my son in Maine, the last thing in the world we were thinking about was, you know, buying at the deadline. I and mean, we were really struggling at that point. You know, this is July 17th, 18th. And um, it was funny. I kept emailing him at camp every morning like, one again <laughs> one again and so it was a it was a great feeling to be able to turn around so quickly but yes it looked incredibly bleak now uh, when i was sitting on the tarmac that night we we're about to fall to eight under it did not look like you know buying was anywhere in the anywhere in our mindset and we just played great and then and then to the to the guy's credit also like there was some emotion of the deadline and not selling and then we didn't and then we end up winning. We went five and two. We played the Reds four games and the Braves three games that week at home right after the deadline. And we ended up going you know, five and two, which was really impressive. So uh, they, they followed that up with a really great week after not selling. It, all right. So you're on the tarmac. Did you have a feeling then how long you thought you could wait to make that buy sell decision? I mean, you had to be getting close. Yeah. To making- well, the one thing that worked in my favor, our favor was that, uh, as you know, people wait till the last minute to do deadline stuff. I mean, in this era, it's gotten later and later. Um, early on, I mean, Theo and I made some trades. We made we traded some Arjun Hamill on Fourth of July, uh, which I remember because it made us very popular with our wives. Um, <laughs> but we did we did that. Um, I think we traded Soriano around July first. Um, the uh, so the uh, Arietta and Strobe deal was kind of early but it just seems like those deals have kind of gone away and people have stopped doing that and so i sort of knew i had you know till close to the deadline to make any any real decisions and so yeah listen if someone had come to us with a great offer at at, at that point yeah i, I might have been tempted to to take it to ownership because certainly when you're you know we were sitting i don't remember exactly the number but seven eight percent playoff odds at that point um, which I think is like hitting on 20 and blackjack or something. Right. So <laughs> yeah. um, at that point, it that did, didn't seem like there was any chance that we were going to drag our way back. And, you know, like I said, to their credit, they, they did an amazing job and not only to do that, but then it felt like we had to add to the team, right. Not only did we not sell, but if you're not going to sell, you might as well go on the other side. And I was really glad we could bring in, you know, Candelario, who I think was the best bat that probably changed hands at the deadline. Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm always curious about the the conversations that are going on. And all right, you've had deadlines where you've been a buyer. You've had deadlines where you've been a seller. But how hard is it to be having those conversations with other front offices? Because obviously you're calling them, they're calling you, and you don't even know which one you are. Right? Do, do you have conversations in which you say, if we buy dot, 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 and if we sell dot, dot, dot? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I mean, the two sides are very different, right? Because when you're sure. you're getting a lot of inbound phone calls on the sell side, <laughs> you know, people are calling you, and on the buy side, you got to be more proactive. Like no one calls you and shops the player, right? So uh, that week, 
early in the week, we, we played well at the end of that week. We played great against the Cardinals that weekend. And so Tom and I decided at that point that we wouldn't do anything until after the games on, I think it was Sunday, July 30th. It was, we played the Cardinals and we were like, let's just wait, see where we are. Like, and the biggest part of it is I just didn't want to go up and down with every game. That's no way to live. There's no way to make a decision. So let's wait until the end. So that was our, that was our decision at that point. So I told every team that called, I said, Hey, you know, we're playing better. Um, we may buy, we may sell depending on how this week goes and how the other teams play around us, but we're not going to do anything. I promise you until after the games that Sunday night. And so I had a lot of conversations with certain teams. And then as the week got on, I'd say we get to like, certainly after the talkman catch on Friday night, everyone's like, Oh, you're not, you're buying, you're not selling. And so I think people <laughs> stopped taking me seriously as a seller. I didn't even have to tell people I wasn't going to sell. I think people kind of figured it out at that point that, you know, we had a really good stretch. And then at the same time, the Brewers struggled a little bit that week and the Reds struggled a little bit that week. And so that kind of brought us closer. And I think our playoff odds went from, you know, in the single digits to like 35 or so percent. And that seemed like the right kind of the right place to, to go to the buy side. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, but there's also all that work that goes yeah. into it, uh, whether you buy or sell. Yeah. And I can only imagine all of the the seller prep that you had to do. <laughs> to, to look at farm systems uh to, to target right to target teams and and players you liked yeah. and versus vice versa who would we want i think that's how, part how of much the job i always think that's part of the job though is that you know the number of ideas you have to have to get something across the finish line is, is so many you know there's so many <laughs> times that someone in the office will email me a, a really good trade idea i'm like that's a great idea realizing like there's a one percent chance that <laughs> the other team thinks it is that everything lines up, that you get a deal done. And so I always just feel like so many things in our job sort of get left on the cutting room floor that you just, as a staff, you have to accept that reality that yes, our pro scouting department and those guys did an amazing job preparing us if we did sell. And um, I think they're all thrilled. Everyone wants to win. So I think that that's the good side, right? I think, you know, preparing to sell and then buying, like that's a good problem to have. You know, what you don't want is the other <laughs> prepare to buy and then you have to sell I, yeah. I think but i do think that you know unless you're one of a very very small handful of teams you know braves dodgers you know that um they know mid-may like okay we're clearly a buyer for the most part most teams are probably having some of those conversations you look at how condensed the standings are you know i think that most most 
front offices are probably having the conversation, or at least we have to prepare a little bit on this side and this side. And it's a great day when you get to the point where you just know, like, hey, we are a straight buyer. Yeah. And, you know, another one of the really interesting dynamics of every deadline, and you you touched on this, is the clubhouse and the impact all of it is having on those players yep. in that clubhouse. And, you know, there are a lot of front offices now who, who leave their players guessing about what's going to happen. And I knew you didn't handle it that way. Um, what kind of conversations were you having with players in your clubhouse as the deadline approached? Yeah. Um, well, I was pretty open with, um, I mean, I, I had some conversations with Bellinger uh, and Stroman because those guys were sort of on the block and I told them kind of where we were and I wanted to be honest with them. And and then Dansby was on the IL for a while. Um, he was on the IL. He got hurt against Milwaukee and I think he missed the first two series after the um, after the uh, All-Star break. And uh, he was, he had way too much time on his hands. And so he was, <laughs> Dansby was sort of playing uh front office guy for a while but when he wasn't playing and so I had a lot of long conversations with him that were actually really fascinating um he's so thoughtful and I think he was kind of curious about our mindset and you know we sort of sold him when he came here I'm like but this is you know we're getting better and better and like this you know we're gonna our farm system is getting better and better and if you you know if you join us now you know we think that you're gonna be part of something special but hey the first year it may not be the best team you're a part of uh you're going to help us build something. And I, I think he kind of has taken that to heart. It's like, he wants to be part of the building process and wants to be part of part of the thought process. So I had a lot of really good conversations with him about it as well, but I think it's important to communicate. Like I've, you know, I've probably gotten better and better at that, at that throughout my career that I don't know if I would have been as, as good about that when I was in San Diego, but knowing to go talk to all the players and having these conversations. But now I realize that they're reading about it. Um, I think there's a real, human uncertainty to it and i always just say you know i've been so fortunate i think this is i've been here since 2011 in, in chicago and you have real stability and i think to myself i can't imagine just waking up one morning and someone telling me hey like you're you're moving to a different city your wife and kids are moving to a different city and you realize like there's a a human impact of that i don't think i had the same understanding of of that kind of thing before i had a wife and kids uh, now I think I look at it a little bit differently. Like, oh, wow, if I had to like tell them we're moving tomorrow, that would be really hard. And so it's the job, but it's also realizing that they have a, they have difficult lives they have to deal with at this time. You know, Cody Bellinger moved here. He's got an apartment. He, his wife had a kid in April. Like, they don't want to leave, you know? And so I, you, have to, you have to deal with that reality. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a really interesting side of the deadline. Um, not that Actually, a lot it's of a funny, are... funny side story, but yeah, I remember um, I didn't give this this story a second thought, but later on it, it came up when I was with the Red Sox. Um, I think we claimed Chris Woodward off waivers and we needed him in the lineup like that day or the next day. <laughs> and I called him and I think this was like, oh, seven or oh, eight. I was single. I had no kids. And definitely didn't get it i called him and i was like hey like we we got a bunch of injuries like we really need you to play shortstop against the yankees like tomorrow night like really need you in the lineup he's like okay here's the deal i'm in wherever wherever he was at the time physically i'm in a hotel like i've got two kids that are sick my wife is sick like and he's like going through this whole saga i was like okay so like i said we need you in the lineup tomorrow 
And he said, he looked back, he's like, it was so obvious that you had no idea. <laughs> just, I blew right through that stop sign. I was like, that, that's a great story. Like we need you in the lineup. And obviously now I think I do that kind of thing differently. And I'm kind of, it, it, I'm kind of embarrassed by it, but also it kind of makes me realize like how much life changes you. <laughs> I know you look, you're not alone. I, I, you know, I talk to people in your line of work all the time, how they wrestle with what to tell the player, whether to tell the player anything. They start to tell them, then they think, no, I really shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it, it's, it's a hard one. Um, yeah. Hey, I, you mentioned Dansby. So let me ask you, I, I don't know how well you knew Dansby Swanson before you signed him. What do you know about him now that you didn't know before that makes him the kind of player you want to build a team around? Yeah. Well, obviously we did a lot of work on him before um, Carter, Hawkins, my, my GM had a, the Vanderbilt connection with him. And so that's a pretty tight community. So we did a lot of work on him. And I think I had a great sense of the kind of person he is. Um, I think the kind of player he is, I think has been really eye-opening to me. Just the consistency day to day is such a, a steadying force to have him at shortstop. He makes every play, every play, you know, hard, easy, just, you're out. And, and I think that that um, resonates with the whole team. Um, I also think that um, the way he comes to work every day to, to win and to play, I think really rubs off on everybody. Uh, and I think I've really noticed how everything in his mindset is about winning. I have no idea how he's playing. If you talk to him, it's, you know, how he's hitting, how he's just, it's all about we're here to win. I think it's not surprising. He's, he's won a college world series. He's won a world series in Atlanta. Um, and I think all of those experiences have built him to a place where it's just, it's all about winning. You know, Joe Madden used to always talk about was a, what the, the six levels of a, of a player's career and like level six, which is like the ultimate level was just, it's all about winning. And he would always talk about like, it takes guys going through all these different steps of, you know, um, I'm just happy to be here. I want to make money, you know, all these different, like different places that players go. They're like the natural evolution, but like, he's at that place in his career and as a person where he's just all about, I'm here to win. And the more players you can get to that point, the better, because I do think that, you know, I think as a fan, I certainly, I would imagine every player is all about winning, but you realize that it's hard to get there. You, a lot of guys are worried about, am I going to be in the big leagues tomorrow? Um, am I going to make money? Am I, I'm in arbitration. Like, there's a lot of factors that, that take away from that. And when you get players that just, wake up in the morning and think about winning and you know, that's it. That's a, it's a great place to be. And Dan's is very clearly in that group. Yeah. And you mentioned right, you're heading toward the deadline and you're having conversations with one of your players about where buying versus selling fits yeah. into building a winning mindset. You know, you've signed a lot of players in your time yeah. in baseball. I, I wonder how many of them have talked to you about it that way. Yeah, not with the same, not with that same angle, I would say, because he wasn't, he wasn't just focused on the winning now. He was like, because I said to him, I was honest with him. I said, yeah, right now we're seven under, you know, we have to look at our odds and look at what we're trying to build. And his point was like, yeah, I just, it's a, you can't just snap your fingers and decide it's time to win. It's a, it's a culture. It's a mindset. And I think that's one of the hardest things when you deal with, with building, rebuilding, everyone of phrase it right people always like i feel like rebuilding has this, this negative connotation but you know i feel like 
the hardest part is that transition to, to winning, you know? Um, and I do think, you know, like, you know, we've really benefited here in Chicago by, you know, by selling, you know, we sold for three straight years when Theo and I got here in 12 and 13 and 14. And those, those players we got were sort of the kind of backbone of, of winning, you know, we got Strope and we got Arietta and we got Hendrix and we, we got Rizzo and it, it, those really benefited us winning. And then I think now we've kind of built a very good farm system on the backs of, of trading those guys away. So there's a fine balance between um, that culture that Dan's was talking about, but also realizing that a lot of times those deadline decisions that you make, those really hard decisions, those are the backbone of what ends up being a winning program. And those are the, it's really difficult, you know, and I like, I'll use, I'll use Baltimore as an example. Last year, they weren't really in the race. They're having a good fun team, but they weren't really in the race. I mean, right now, a big part of why they are where they are is, you know, Cano is in their bullpen because of a very hard, good decision that Mike made at the deadline. And so I just think that, you know, we have to be aware that a lot of times, you know, you, you need to make those hard decisions. Um, and obviously like had our players played so well, they put us in a situation where it was very clear at that point we were going to buy, but yeah, it would have been really difficult. Had we won like three fewer games, we were four under three under, and I might've had to make a really hard decision. And that decision would have been born of, of like, let's build something really special here. This like, let's, let's keep building up the young talent base. But those are hard decisions because um, always feeling like, your focus on the culture is, is hard because it's sometimes like, you know, in 2014, we were getting close to being good. I remember we traded some Arja and traded Hamill. There was a ton of backlash. Like, when are you guys going to stop doing this? But, you know, Addison Russell ended up being a, you know, starting shortstop for us on three teams went, went to the LCS. And so I think that um, you have to, it's a fine balance between like that winning culture, but also like acquiring the talent necessary to do it. Yeah, and hey, Cody Bellinger would have been by far the biggest impact bat traded at the deadline. And, you know, I've always wondered when a team doesn't trade a player like that, if going forward, you always think about the trade you could have made, the players you could have gotten for him. Yeah. Well, listen, I I have this theory that um, at some point in everyone's career, maybe it's when we retire, everyone should be forced to like write down like the five deals they could have had <laughs> um, and also their five deals that, you know, like kind of five worth trades they offered that never got accepted. Cause I think that like, it'd be like the greatest coffee table book of all time. If you had, if people would be honest about um, what are the ones that got away? What are the ones you offered that you look back like, Oh, thank God they didn't say yes. You know, um, there's so many of those out there. And so sometimes as a, you know, with friends in the, in the, in the business, we'll joke about those, but they never really come out and it would be so fascinating if they could somehow, cause you always, you always have those thoughts, right? Of like, Oh, if they said yes to that, this, this, this whole thing would be a lot different. <laughs> yeah. The sports writer equivalent of that would be the, the, the leads or the columns we yeah. had mostly written except the game then changed the ninth inning. We, we actually, at one point, if I got to the athletic, we ran the lead I wrote on the Rangers winning the World Series in 2011. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. because we were doing our most memorable games that we were ever at. Yeah. That's I think that's mine. It's, one, it's certainly one of them. So I thought I actually still have this 
thing that I wrote in my computer. We ran it. That, yeah. And there's there's a lot of those. I'm lot. still I'm still devastated. My wife's from St. Louis and I'm still, you know, all her whole family, they're Cardinal fans. I've slowly converted them. But I remember <laughs> I remember that game. I missed that game. I got it. I, I was still commuting back and forth from San Diego. I just got into Chicago and I, I got in the air uh, like in the third or fourth inning. And this was pre like good, you know, airplane Wi-Fi. I remember I landed back in San Diego and just had like text after text, like greatest game ever. I was like, no, because <laughs> <laughs> as a baseball yeah. fan, I would have, I would have wanted to be watching that. And I, I landed tall though. So anyway, I, I remember, I remember where I was, which was not watching. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry you missed it. Yeah. The, the team that won the game trailed five different times in oh, yeah. a game that would have ended the World Series. It, it's just and incredible maybe, to think about. And maybe I look, you know, when I look at my own career and think about like, you know, the fact that we were 10 under this year um, and, and who knows where the next, you know, five weeks go, you know, the rest of the rest of the regular season. But I mean, I've been I've been part of three teams that won the World Series. You know, the, the 04 team was down three games to none. The 07 uh, team was down three games to one to the Indians. And then obviously the, the 16 team was down 3-1. And, I mean, in none of those series did, it, did anyone feel like what happened was about to happen, right? I mean, we're down 3-0 to the Yankees. You're not thinking we're about to make this, this you know, historic comeback. And obviously, you know, being down the other two times against the Indians, I mean, I think, you know, you realize – you know, those comebacks are what, you know, it's why we do this. It's why, it's why people like sports, right? Because crazy things like that do happen. If every time a team got up or down, you know, three, one, or every time a, a, a team was, you know, five games under 10 games under the season was over, it wouldn't be much fun. Well, that, that is the wonder of baseball. It's what makes it so special. It, it doesn't happen this way in the other sports. And it's, it, it's obviously what we love about it. And, you know, you, you were mentioning some of the teams you've been a part of. Obviously, the 2004 Red Sox made a little history. The 2016 Cubs, that team made a little history. Uh, I mean, to do what you're trying to do this year would be a different kind of history. But I do feel like seasons like this, they're memorable. Uh, they can change the arc of a franchise. And so does this season feel that way to you, like a springboard to something beyond this year? I hope so. I mean, you know, again, I think I, it's August 21st. I don't want to speak too early, but I will say that I always say like the two most fun summers I've ever had in baseball were 03 and 15. Um, and they the were year both before the, they were both the year before where 03, we just had this, I think we scored 961 or 962 runs oh, that year. And oh my God, I think Bill Miller won the batting title batting eighth and Veritek hit 25 homers batting ninth. <laughs> and we just bludgeoned people. And we had a bad bullpen and Theo and I used to joke, you want to have an exciting team, like have a historically good offense and a bad bullpen. <laughs> every single night you had to like, I say it was like trying to careen your car into a parking spot with no brakes. Like we just, <laughs> somehow we were going to win, but that, that team obviously lost on the, the Boone walk-off and then 15, um, you know, we kind of came out of nowhere that year. We, I think we were only like, seven over at the, at the all-star break ended up winning 97 games. And that was like this massive springboard year into, into 16. And it ended with a horrible sweep against the Mets. So like those teams, those seasons didn't end well, they actually ended awfully, but 
they were such fun summers because it was unexpected. Both those teams were expected to be kind of in the low 80s of wins and just really took off and, and played great and were really exciting. And so I do think that, you know, as an organization, I feel really good right now that our farm system's getting ranked really high. Um, I think we have like real core pieces to the big league team. And it, it feels like like we're um, we're starting something that I think can can be a lot of fun and, and hopefully, you know, we can keep building on it. But um, you're right. Yeah, I think there is there is that notion of um, when you're at the end of these runs, it, it, it starts to feel different. Right. Because you're like you kind of see the end coming. Um, there's really hard decisions to be made with players that you've been with a long time. There is something, you know, sort of like the the morning part of that of a run is sort of really enjoyable in a way because you can kind of see the the seedlings or the little, you know, the, the growth that you that you need to to become a really good team. And I think there's something really gratifying in that. Yeah, it's also a reminder that the the, the journeys yes. are really fun. They're the best part of of following baseball, being part of baseball. So you have 12 seasons in Chicago. And when I think about your journey, okay, so you went from losing 101 games to what happened in 2016, to then the frustrations, the teardown of that group after 2016, and then to where you are now. Um, has this ride back to contention felt different or similar to that ride leading up to 2016? Um I think it's different in the sense of like the, the seat I'm in, you know, um, you know, I came to, I came from San Diego to Chicago with Theo and, you know, we didn't intend to tear it all the way down, but the rules kind of the rules and the and opportunity kind of led us to do that. Um, and so, yes, that was, a, that was a incredibly fun journey. I mean, I, we, you know, looking back, I think it, it's always easy to gloss over some of the really difficult parts of it. You know, I remember walking my back door many nights after games in 12 and 13. And my wife was like, you know, this is going to happen. Why do you look like you saw a ghost? I'm like, because <laughs> it's really hard to go to the ballpark from seven to 10 every night and know how outclassed you are and also realize how much work you have. I always, I always tell the story of being in St. Louis. Um, and I was sitting there during a day game in, in 2013 it was like in late April, early May. And I'm staring out of the field, and they have they had been 11. They won the World Series. I think 12 they lost in the LCS. 13 they lost in the World Series. So the team I was watching ended up losing to the Red Sox that year in the World Series. Yeah. I remember watching the game and thinking, like, how on earth are we going to compete with this team anytime <laughs> soon? I mean, they're just a bunch of you know prime aged great players, you know, Matt Holiday and Yachty, and they had, you know, I think that back then they had Johnny Peralta and they had John Jay. And said just a really good team all all across the field. And thinking like, we're not close to this right now. And then, you know, two years later, we beat them in the LCS. <laughs> and it was a great learning experience for me in the sense of that these things happen quickly when you get a critical mass of talent, right? That it you know, we got to a place where it wasn't, you know, it didn't happen all at once. It was like, you know, you know, we got Rizzo and then we put, put Javi in, and then we had Soler and then, you know, we, we, you know, signed Zobris and we signed Hayward and we traded for Dexter Fowler. And it was like just one decision after another. And the next thing you know, you look up and like, wow, 
you know, you add Bryant and Schwarber and some draft picks to that mix and we have a, a really good team. So the reason I bring that up is like, I, I learned so much going through that experience that um, the picture isn't always as clear as you wish that you, you just have to make, you know, make good decisions one after another. And if you do that and make good decisions one after another, you can start to build something. And, you know, I'm quite sure if you look at the, the different rebuilds that have worked really well, that that would be this, a very similar refrain, I think, from, from people would be, yeah, like, you know, it wasn't like you just knew this is exactly what it's going to look like, but you made this good trade, you made this good draft pick, you made this good signing. And if you keep doing that over and over, brick by brick, you can, you can get there. And so, um, you know, we're not right now where we, where we were after 15, you know, I think that, um, but we're trying to get there. And I think that, like I said, our, I feel really good about our farm system, our player development staff and our scouting staff have done a great job. And I feel like feel really good about these core pieces on the team. And, you know, we just have to keep on making good decisions, but it does. I have taken a lot of lessons from last time because I think that was my number one lesson was, we didn't know exactly how it was going to look. We didn't know Jake Arrieta was going to morph into a, a Cy Young winner. You know, when we traded for him, we didn't know that. We didn't know Strope was going to have like you know, six straight years throwing the eighth inning for us and being really good. But you know, made those decisions one after another, and you ended up getting to a place where a lot of things worked out in our favor. And so that I think that's the mentality. Just make good decisions one after another. And I think if you do that with, with the right – direction in mind i think you'll get there all right i've, I've just got a couple of, yeah. of last things uh, you segue into one of them uh, and that is how winnable is the national league this year i mean the braves are having a crazy year the dodgers are 17 and 2 this month but then you've got yeah. uh, an, a, another group of really good teams how, how yeah. big is the separation between those two teams and potentially the rest of the National League playoff field, including yourself. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's baseball. I mean, so I think, you know, we play five game series and then seven game series if you're the Braves and the and the Dodgers. And you look at it, you think to yourself, a five game series happens really fast. You know, you stumble in the first game and now you have to win three out of four to to win the series. And so um we've all seen a million times how, you know, last year the Dodgers where they win 111 games. Yeah. They played against a team in the in their in the first round that they dominated all season and they lost. Right. And so I just think that it's baseball. The best team doesn't always win. That said, I do think that just looking at what those two teams have done, look at their run differentials. Um, those teams are playing at a different level than the rest of the National League right now, for sure. And that probably won't stop the rest of the regular season but it doesn't mean that if you play them in a three out of five or a best of seven it doesn't mean you can't beat them because it's baseball you know what are the odds in any one game of um you know the braves that you know playing against a, a another team like they're you add that up yes they should win a series but we all know it's baseball and i mean i think the braves are the one of the best examples I've talked to Dansby about this, that I thought their 2021 team was the worst team in the national league going into the playoffs that year. Yeah. And they won the world series. And last year, if I was going to wager last year, I would have definitely bet on them to win the world series last year. I thought they were the best team in the national league going into the playoffs last year and they lost. So I just think that it's baseball, but yes, I think those teams are 
a notch above. And I think all you have to do is kind of look at their run differentials and look at what they just the way they're beating teams. And you realize that like, you know, no one else, I think we're third, I think in run differential in the national league and probably a hundred runs behind those teams. So um, <laughs> they are playing at a different level. Yeah. The stars are going to have to line up for somebody, but the, that, that happens. We see it, it happens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. One more thing. Uh, you, you go to work every day at Wrigley field and this Cubs team has awakened that beast, right? <laughs> Wrigley has the go Cubs go magic rocking again. And you, you, you know, you sit there and you, you hear that, you feel that you live that. How would you describe the energy of Wrigley? Um, that feeling that you get on one of those special days when your team is winning and those people are so freaking happy to be there. Yeah. It, it I mean, I, it's, it's cliche, but like, I still like it's right behind me. And I think like, that is the, the best thing about this job by far, you know, it's a great city, but just, you know, I don't think there's any place like, like it. And Frank, if there's any other place like it, it's Fenway. And I've been fortunate to work all the two years of my career in those two places. And they're just magical places that when you get these, you know, generational fan bases and when things start to line up in the right seasons, it really does. It, there's just a, there's a energy in the place that's incredible. And what was so fun, I'd say maybe three weeks ago, you know, we had a couple of games where I was like, whoa, like, this is really loud. <laughs> and and it, it was such a great reminder because, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful place to go to work every day, no matter what. But, you know, I realized that, you know, um, you know, 19 was not a season, not a great season for us. Um, we had some meaningful games towards the end, but it wasn't the fan base didn't gravitate towards that team in the same way. And then we won the division in 2020, but we never there was no fans. So those playoff games had had no fans in them. And then, you know, 21, 22, you know, we sold off the, the core at the deadline of, of 21. And then last year wasn't a good season. So it had been, you know, four or five years since I really felt that energy you're talking about, which is like the next level type thing. And the first night we heard it, it was like, Oh, it's back. It was, it was, <laughs> it was so great. And it's a competitive advantage. You know, I've watched, so many young pitchers, especially, you know, this wilt on the mound at Fenway or wilt on the mound at, at Wrigley, the old Yankee stadium. Like when those, when those stadiums get, get loud, I really believe that that's when it becomes a, a competitive advantage and, and uh, we're there. And it's also just, just such a magical place to be. You look out and you think, you know, that with the Ivy and the, you know, we've had beautiful nights here and um, there's not a lot of better sporting venues in the world that I think than Wrigley Field on a on a summer night so I'm just fortunate not only to be able to come to work here but also to use it as a recruiting tool all the time because you know players talk about it you know like after these games like oh that crowd was incredible tonight and I just think to myself you know um it's like you go to a concert and you think like you know there you know guy plays an arena every night but all of a sudden now he plays a different venue and the one the venues that to really get them going. And I think that um, there's a little extra gear that happens here that I think when, when, when things get, get really good. And I think we're here and I hope we can keep it like that for a bunch of years to come, because um, like I said, it's a great recruiting tool. It's a great place to come to work. And it's just a fun place for fans to be. Yeah. Isn't that one of the hidden rewards of your job? You know, when you get into your line of work, you're thinking about winning and you're thinking about team building 
I, I'm going to get you're not thinking about what it feels like to sit in Wrigley Field on days like that. No, no but those are the nights it brings you back. Like the other night when Morel at the homer, you know, everyone's jumping around. And what a moment. I feel like they played Go Cubs go like all night. Like no one, no one left for like 15, 20 minutes after the game. And, and um, yeah, I think that it, it, like th- those are the nights you realize like, yeah, it's like, this is a, a fan game. And those are the nights that, you know, those are nights you remember. And, and when you can get that kind of electricity in the ballpark, there's something really special. And, and I think I've gotten better and better as I've gotten older, even, even when I've been on the road and, you know, the, in uh, visiting ballparks, um, during the postseason or end of the season, realizing like, yes, I, I don't like the fact that they're cheering for the wrong thing right now, but realizing like, this is pretty special. Like I remember in 15 being in Pittsburgh for the one game playoff, I was the loudest crowd I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is just cool to be part of, you know, they, and I, I always go back to going to Yankee stadium. i I can't think of how many Red Sox Yankees games I watched in that old ballpark <laughs> and the number of times that it got really, really loud. And just thinking like, like this is, this is, this is why they have all those monuments, right? Is it, <laughs> is a hard place to win. And, and I think being able to, to be older and more experienced and realize like, that's the cool part of this, even if it's not on your side, it's pretty cool to, to, to hear a crowd that loud or, or feel that kind of intensity. Yeah, so well said. Uh, hey, Jed, listen, I, I know you got a million things on your plate. I can't thank you enough for your Always. time and your insights. Um, hope our paths cross at Wrigley Field in October. Let's hope so. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Doug is back, and we're excited about that because it's that time again. (laughs) It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners, in this show. Uh, You know, Doug, uh, I really should have found a way 
Did Dredge have some kind of Little League World Series trivia? You think yes. he would have nailed something like that? Well, yeah, I saw Todd Frazier. There you go. Uh, He's the answer yeah, to every so question. I, so I just answer him every time. <laughs> uh, wait, Co- Cody Bellinger, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah we there's get a definite answer. Yeah, yeah there's, so some de- there, there's some answers, but we're not doing that. Okay, that would have uh, been fun, but it's not the trivia that we have. <laughs> the trivia yes. we have this week it, it involves welcoming back one of our favorite special trivia guest stars. He's been here a lot to torment us with his yes. brilliant trivia questions. It is Zach Farber. Zach, okay. welcome back to Starkville. Thank you. I think I got a good one for you guys this week. Oh, you do. Hey, uh, Zach, why don't you remind people where you're from and how many times that you've stumped us before? I'm from uh, upstate New York, currently in uh, East Jewett, just a little south of, uh, of Albany. Um, I think I've been on this show probably five or six times before. I think uh yeah. Guys got me once, but other than that, I think I've, I've stumped you. Hey, Doug, we actually got one of his questions right. Ooh, <laughs> wait a so what, when you're on, if you're in Starkville five times, doesn't that doesn't that get you something special? You, you, you know what? I, like we need, I, I think, an all time leaderboard for most trivia appearances, something like that. Um, yeah, I like we, it. We, I like if it. we we could come up with that leaderboard, uh, then we could start uh, maybe like a Starkville. Trivia Hall of Fame, uh, wrecked statues of all the members. Doug, get on that. That's your department, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, my statue maker is a little behind right now. But, yeah. Um, yeah. We're working on it. Yes. Zach, supply uh, chain issues, but we'll, we're yeah. we're we're on the case. <laughs> Sounds right. good. Yeah. So, so Zach, we we've stalled long enough. Uh, why don't you hit us with your question? All right. So the question is: Jose Altuve just recorded his 2000th major league hit. He's the yep. only player uh, currently active to have multiple 200 hit seasons he actually did it four straight years yeah there's Ooh. only five other active players to have a 200 hit season but i'm asking if you can name the other three to do it as an infielder so three active players that have 200 hits as an infielder the one note i will make gene segura uh, did do it, but not currently on an active roster, so he's not included. I, I, I was going to ask about him if somebody like him would be considered yeah. active. Okay, so he's out. Uh, one more. Okay, one more clarification. Yeah. Uh, yep. How are we? Um, first baseman. They're still considered to be infielders, correct? <laughs> yes, they are. All right, catchers. No. Right? Catchers. There, there aren't any catchers, so. Yeah, I know, but I'm just I'm just checking. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and and is there a certain number of games you have to play in the infield, or is it what's the threshold? It's whatever position they played the majority of their games at. Majority, okay, that that works. So, so Doug, I had three names that popped into my head immediately. Okay, yep, Freddie Freeman, Trey Turner, Bo Bichette. Uh, I feel like they've all led the league in hits. Uh, We know Bo Bichette has done it two years in a row. they don't walk that much, so 200 hits is something they're very capable of. Uh, they also post up. They play in 150, 160 games a year. Freddie plays every game, every year. So I I, I personally love those three, but I did write down some other names. Uh, there's Miggy, yes. of course, because he's the answer to every trivia question. Uh, Luis Arias, thought about. Uh, Jeff McNeil. Ooh. Jose Ramirez, uh, he's stumped us before. That guy, 
Uh, I thought about DJ Lemayhu, and I had Gene yep. Segura written down, but now we know he's not active. So uh, those are my names. Who do you have on Ooh. your list? Wow. Um, okay. So I'm going to help you with one. Freddie Freeman is incorrect. And I know this because I looked it up and he got a 199 hits. Uh, that's that's his that's his career high. So we can take okay. him off. All right. Uh, you didn't look it up when you were no, no, I, I was no, prepared for this question, right? I, I looked it up at some Braves game I was doing, and I okay. remember All right. saying, wow, Freddie Freeman never had 200 hits in a season. All right. Well, All right so I, I think that's right. Okay. So Bichette, I think, had 200. Uh, who was the other one? You Trey did? Turner, 2021, oh, must have had 200, right? Yeah, he probably had 200, yeah. I, I assume. But okay. So I had Xander Bogarts, um, Tim Anderson. Uh, now, Whit Merrifield, did he have 200? Uh, I, he, he seemed I, like he had a good I, I, I don't think so. All right. Seeger, Simeon. Wait, Robinson Cano is not active, is he? No, he's okay. not active. All right, I'm going to take him off. Uh, so, Simeon's interesting, but like, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of guys who hit for a really high average. That, that's that's kind of, uh, Timmy Anderson plays a lot. You know, he gets a lot of uh, bats, but... Oh, Oh, he has three. He was the highest batting average going into the season of the, like, over the last four years. Okay, he had the highest uh, batting average a, by ten points. That's a good guess. I mean, yeah, it's a good guess. And he doesn't. It doesn't walk. Doesn't walk. Uh, a ton of plate appearances. Yeah, that's a good. Right. That's a. That's a really good name. What about Miggy? What do we think about Miggy? You know, when you said that, I just never even thought of him. But that's what. That's like a shame. I mean, I, he must have had two hundred hits, like triple crown. I mean, he walks a lot, though, right? Doesn't walk. Walks. He gets, and he, he, I mean, in his heyday, he got a ton of extra or of intentional walks too. I thought about uh, him, Johan Mancata that one year. Did he? No he way. He had a lot of hits. No. no way. Okay. No chance. Swanson, Dancy Swanson, plays every day. No. Uh, doesn't hide, hit for high enough average. Okay. Um, Jose Ramirez, you know, uh, Jeff McNeil, like those guys. I don't know. Yeah, McNeil. Gosh, that is a good. Didn't win the batting title last year somehow. Sneaked in there and won that. Ooh, man, McNeil. Uh, what about Xander, though? Xander, you, like think had, Zan- like... you think Xander had 200 hits, huh? All right, so we feel, all right, Bichette, that's definite. Uh, Bichette and Trey Turner. Trey Turner. And you want to we... go Tim Anderson? I'll, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you want to do here. Okay, all right. We're, we're, and we're, we're sure about Trey Turner, right? We feel, I mean, like, sometimes I just get a lock in and I'm like, wait a minute. I guess, yeah, it's too confusing. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure of Trey Turner, but 2021, again, he doesn't walk that much. He had a crazy year, like an amazing year. Yeah. Remember, we, we were figuring out Mookie, Freddie, and Trey, whether they had the most hits of any one, two, three ever. Uh, and they almost, yeah. they almost finished one, two, three in the league in hits. Something, you know, there's something going on there. Um, right. That's a good answer, though. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, all right, right? Bo, Bo Bichette. Trey Turner and Tim Anderson. Okay, if that's what you want to do, it's, it's Xander or Tim. Man, Xander. Tim Anderson. I mean, did he play enough games? You know, some of his batting titles, he was hurt, right? Ah, man, this is gonna kill me. 
this is where we need operation multiple choice, but <laughs> and, and we have to, we have to get yeah we have to get all three of these for sure. Yeah, this is not a. Multiple what, I mean, do you have any any insight, Tim Anderson or Xander? I'll, I'll go with one of those two. Yeah, any? I would lean I, Tim I, Anderson if we're going to go one of those two. But, but really, because Bogarts played every day, he never missed. He doesn't hurt. That's the thing. Yeah. Xander, 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 come on, come to me. 200 hits. Doug. Tim Anderson. <laughs> come on, just make, make just a guess. I've... Come on, let's go. You got to decide here. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to pick the wrong one. I, I got to think. Yeah, of course. All right, all right, let me think. Give me, give me 10 seconds here. <laughs> Tim Anderson. Xander. Yeah, you can count it out. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm sure that we found a way to talk ourselves out of the right <laughs> answer as we usually do. Um, plus, we didn't get a chance to utilize Glanville's devious cheating scheme, which apparently we still are knowing this week as Operation Multiple <laughs> Choice. So we're just going to have to guess. Zach, is there any chance it's Bo Trey Turner, and you said Tim Anderson was your third? Yeah, Tim Anderson. Tim right. Anderson. Fortunately, he fell in love with the shortstops, and uh, he went 0 for 3. We went oh, 0 wow. for 3? 0 for 3. We went oh, 0 good, for actually, 3? Yeah. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Oh, my God. That's just brutal. That, that's actually I, I, those good, were those were, those, I, those were excellent guesses, and we're still 0 for 3. All right, let's let's hear the answer. Third third base, first base? All right. Miguel yeah. Cabrera was one that you, were, you guys were discussing. Yeah, okay, sure. Guessed it. Uh, the sure. other one you mentioned is Whit Merrifield. Oh wow! And Whit then the last okay, name I that you guys didn't that one. <laughs> bring up, last name you guys didn't bring up was uh, Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers. So, uh, wow. Okay, so hundred hits. Doug had the I, the the left side right, of the Red right Sox infield, <laughs> but wrong address. Uh, the right so, infield, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know. We should have gotten this. Wow, it's, it's harder good, than it looks. Not far off. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I can wow. can we blame uh, driving fatigue since? Glanville's driving like 600 miles today. <laughs> Can we do that? No, I, I feel good that we are, you know, well, how close are these guys? Like Anderson, I mean, I, you know, they must have, you know, 190. How many hits did these yeah, guys have? Yeah, what about our near misses? Whatever. You know, at least, at least once this part of the segment is over, <laughs> Doug and I get out of the way. And then the segment gets way better because that's the time when we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim. McMaster to play another fabulous play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got for us this week that we didn't think of? Well, I knew there was no chance on Devers. I just that it blew me away that Raphael Devers has a 200-hit season, um, especially because this this trivia question I think made me realize more than I maybe had how hard it is to get 200 hits in a season. I guess especially in the modern era, as opposed to to ages right. gone by but wow none of those like none of the guys that we guessed have ever gotten 200 hits that feels impossible yeah. bogart's impossible. got bogart's was 196 okay. um, and i think turner you mentioned turner in 2021 yeah it was 195 okay um, and oh. freeman you nailed it doug freeman had 199 in 2022 <laughs> his first year yeah, what about, and what about tim anderson yeah, you have him. In front Anderson of wasn't as close. I think yeah, I was looking many, it up as you guys yeah, were going. I think he was like injuries. Yeah, yeah injuries. Probably. I think he was one seventies, his best season. Okay. So, ah. um, but I knew Dev just Devers shocked me. So his yeah, was also no, kind of yeah. cool. 
um, because it was the last game of the season, kind of his last at bat back in 2019. So here's Raphael Devers. There's a shot in the right, and that is down. Go ahead. Go. And a second, 200 hits. Also, Jerry Remy in the background there, which is kind of cool to hear now. Just going to say that. So Raphael Devers was, he would have been, what, 21, 22 years old? Then? That's that's wild. We should have remembered wow. that. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, that's good. I feel good. I feel good. That's very he was 20, 22 years old. That was the year he also had 54 doubles Yeah, and 32 yeah. homers. Finished um, 12th in the MVP. So that's a shutout for us. Zach, that's nice another job. fantastic question, man. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us in Starkville. Um I'll let you know if we ever get around to that Starkville Hall of Fame thing, okay? Yes, yes, Sounds yes. Good. Strange but true. You know, there are certain weeks we don't even have to deliberate for 12 seconds to decide what to talk about in this Strange but True segment. This is one of those weeks. I, I, I can sum it up in one word. Julio. Uh, did Julio Rodriguez get hot or what? He, I mean, he was so hot, Doug. I had to apply sunscreen just to do this segment. <laughs> I know I did, yeah. but he, uh, Julio, uh, yes, yes. well, yeah. Mercury, yeah, Mercury, Mercury hot. Yep. Yes. Mercury hot. Uh, yes. Julio did something over a four game stretch for the Mariners last week that no one in modern baseball history has ever done he was electric, man. Um, it, and it Ooh. sounded like this. He swings away. Julio with an absolute nuke out to left field. Hey, look at this. He starts with a base hit left field. Stay hot, young man. Stay hot. Way back, way gone. Julio Rodriguez, home run number 21. Three for three. I mean, he just keeps rolling. Look at this. Eight for his last eight. Last time we saw that. Hit it hard, backhanded, Bregman. Julio smells a hit. Base hit. Julio is fourth of the night. Sammy to third. Julio with 17 hits in a four-game stretch beats the record of Milt Scott of the Brooklyn Robins set back in 1925. <laughs> yeah, Milt Stock had a good no, run. 98 years. <laughs> Sorry, Milt. <laughs> yeah, Julio Rodriguez. Got 17 hits <laughs> four games. 17. Uh, so, 17 first thing, hits. I had to check on this. The most hits my friend Doug Glanville ever got over any four games in his nine big league seasons. Oh, wait, I should have you guess. What do you think that, what do you think that number was, Doug? Ooh, that's good. Um, I mean, I, I might have got double digits. You know, 10, about 10. Yeah, you're actually low. It was 11. Um, right. it, it, it happened uh, a few different times. The most recent was, you'll probably remember this, July of 2003. It was just before the Rangers traded you to the Cubs. You went to Tampa Bay, and you got three oh, hits, yeah. one hit, four hits. And then the game on either side of it, you got three hits. So that's <laughs> that's 11 hits in four games. Wasn't seventeen, but you have any memory no. of that? Yeah, it was, like, it was right before the trade deadline. Right like before right the trade, trade deadline. Yeah. yeah. No, I was unconscious that that July. I think I hit like three ninety or something a month, and uh, you know I'd 
got I had you know gotten hurt, come off of a rehab assignment, and then um, you know I was still kind of sluggish for a bit, and then July something clicked, you know, and I just started to hit everything. And you know, when when my type of game, my hot is hits, you know, it's not walks, it's just you know making good mm-hmm. contact. And yeah, I remember destroying Tampa. They had that pitcher, I can't remember his name, but he was um good slider, but he pitched for the Mets for a minute. I remember, you know, hitting him well. And a guy who pitched for the Mets? Slider this is, what is this? This is a, Immaculate Grid come to life here? Well, yes, yeah, Rays and Mets. Exactly. Mets, yeah. Mets and Rays, and he threw a slider. Well, that narrows it down to about a yes. thousand guys. That's good. Yeah, he was, uh, he, was, he was pretty nasty, but he was a little wild. So, yeah, it was an incredible run. I mean, I hit a few home runs that month, and yeah, I was, but I was, you know, I was a little upset about getting traded, knowing that I was going to the Cubs at the time, who was a 500 team. I know it was a shot to make the postseason, but they weren't exactly like 10 games up in first place. And I was a free agent, and I'd finally come back from an injury, and I was thinking, well, if I can just at least get back, I can have a job next year. It didn't, you know, it didn't seem like a good thing to be on the bench and then come off as a pinch hitter. And it turned out to be right. We made the postseason with the Cubs, and then I had a like a non-roster invitation to spring training the next year. So, however, I digress, but um, (laughs) yeah, that was, that was, um, yeah, I was Um, was unconscious in July. Let's review. Uh, Julio is not going to have a non-roster invitation (laughs) next year. He's not going to get traded. He's in good shape on that front. Okay. He got 17 hits in four games. So let me, let me just go through a few of my patented, tidbits okay so 17 hits by julio in four games over the same right. stretch the yankees only got 16 hits in four games <laughs> all of them <laughs> so there was that that's so they had a good week um did you also know 17 hits is more hits than byron buxton and brandon crawford combined since the all-star <laughs> break i know they both had some injury stuff but those two guys are 16 for 101 oh and <laughs> at one point was 17 for 21 okay so those, those things are that's just, they're, they're, that's they're good strange tidbits. here's the best wow. one i i thought this was ridiculous okay he put the ball in play 19 times in the four games he reached base 18 of those times okay so there was 17 hits and I don't know if you saw the one error on Jeremy Pena. He hit the soft line drive. He was doing the, the helicopter spin thing, and it it spun out of his glove. So, yeah, eight, an error. Nine, okay, so 19 times put the ball in play, reached base 18 of the 19 times, including 16 times in a row. I, I couldn't find anything like that. 16 no. times in a row. Um so, so Doug, you're a wordsmith. I mean, can you find some words that describe what it's like to be that guy that hot, where you your mind begins to think, I can't make an out. Well, as you know, Jay, I tend to make up adjectives uh, when it's when it's appropriate. We need and some. Th- yeah, this is this is Julianic because there's no <laughs> other way to describe this. I can't even understand having 16 straight balls I hit and I get on base all 16 times. That's just, that doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> you know, you, we could, like, you could go, I could probably stand on a little league, you know, I could probably play in the little league world series and not even come close to getting on base seven, 16 times in a row. Like, just like, it's just crazy. And 
Yeah. You know, I mean, he was so well, the thing that I always think about in this, and I know there's there's a lot of bias about that I'm about to say here, but you know, I know we're fascinated with on base percentage and there's statistical reasons to be, but there is nothing like someone showing such excellence with the tool of the craft, the bat, than than what Julio Rodriguez has done. Like it's nowhere near as interesting if he was like you know, eight for 17 with seven walks. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's a great stretch. But there's nothing like someone who is showing such bat-to-ball skill to be able to do something like this. It, it just, it, it transcends, you know, on-base percentage or run creation and any numbers you want to throw up there about value when someone just has that kind of capability with a bat. You know, and, and I just think that that's, that's what separates what, he does or he was able to do <clears throat> do with someone who you know may you know may have you know better control the, the strike zone let's say because in the end you know yes there is a strike zone and it's created it's a construct created by rules and umpires and arbiters and all that but when it comes down to it as a batter you have your own strike zone i mean you really have your own zone and who's to say just because you're a low ball hitter or, or you can hit the ball outside like vladimir or I was a high ball hitter that because you're chasing balls in your zone, that that's, that's like an error of the ways, right? Because it's not in the quote strike zone. It's in your zone. And when you're in that kind of zone that Julio Rodriguez was in, he, he was able to expand the zone in ways that were, you know, seemingly impossible, but he also had total command of everything thrown at him. And these weren't all fastballs. They were every pitch under the sun. These are major league pitchers, right? Yes, finally, they know exactly, they know exactly who Julio Rodriguez is. Because just look what he did at the at the home run derby. I mean, they this is a feared bat. So it wasn't like they were trying to give him something to hit. And that's what makes it all <laughs> the more impressive. Because at least with me, like I can at least concede, if there was a 3-2 count on me, they're more likely to at least like, let him hit his way on before they would let Miguel Cabrera hit his way on, which ends up on, you know, Comerica Park's, you know, parking lot out there, right? <laughs> so um, in, in his heyday. So... Yeah, I, I just it's it's really incredible. I mean, and I and I think of some of the things when I go back to you know we just talk about memories and Hall of Fame inductions and little league stories and things that we've seen in baseball this week. And when I go back to my career, I don't think about a player that was hot and says, "Oh, that's really cool." He was like nine for twenty-five with eleven walks. No, that's not that interesting. It isn't because that's a, it's like I don't want to say this like lightly. It, it's a skill set to know the zone, but you know, a guy that doesn't swing the bat, that's not necessarily showing me as much as it is the guy who's making that kind of contact. That That's sort of my point. And, um, and Julio Rodriguez, you know, and guys like Juan Gonzalez, who came off the injured list and got like five straight hits, hadn't picked up a bat in two weeks. That's impressive, okay? That's impressive because that takes a certain talent where if he got up there and walked five times in a row because he's a power hitter, that doesn't really tell me the same what tells me as being a great uh, great hitter with great hand-eye coordination. So what Julio Rodriguez did this week is just, I mean, it is, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's August. You want to throw some more tidbits at me. It is late August, and this guy is, plays every day, and he raised his average like 20 points. That's like impossible. That's impossible. But at some point at this time of the year, your batting average is going to be within 10 points of whatever you are. That's kind hey. of it. It's not impossible if you get a hit every time up. Right. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So he was in the zone and we're going to call it 
the Julianic zone. <laughs> exactly. All right. We had like, I, I, yes. I know that uh, Jay Cronenworth thinks the Crone zone's cool place. Yeah. It's got nothing yeah. on the Julianic zone. Take it from yes. us. And, and his name Julio means July. <laughs> so that's all you need to know about heat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I, all right. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the athletic baseball show which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you would like to read any of the fantastic baseball stories that we write in The Athletic every day, uh, we can tell you how to do that. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. And if you're a new subscriber, you can sign up for just $1.99 a month for the next 12 months. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick some fun listener trivia question. Then that lucky listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So how could you do that? You could email us at Starkville at theathletic.com. You can check out my Facebook fan page. That's some really good questions on the Facebook page, or you can do what Zach Farber did today, and you can X at us on the site formerly known <laughs> as Twitter. So, Doug, <laughs> if someone wants to X a question <laughs> at you these days, is that possible? Well, it sounds like you have to file court papers when you say that, but uh, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just, uh, I'm still on the at symbol here, but uh, you can X me, I guess you call it, at my name, D-O-U-G. G-L-A-N-B-I-L-L-E, very boring. Uh, but I think it will still get there no matter if you put an X or an at in front of it. So uh, hit me on Twitter or the place formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, don't put an X in front of it. That's not going to work. But if you want to get to me, I am at Jason S-T. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Remember to hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So Doug, thanks for playing and for not driving. Thanks to Jed Hoyer for visiting us. Thanks to Zach Farber for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And Doug and I will yep. see you next week. Oh, oh, oh. Starkville. Starkville.